Welcome to the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series, where your host, Andy Jacob, interviews leading entrepreneurs, founders, and CEOs about their incredible companies and discusses their unique entrepreneurial journeys. If you're the CEO or founder of an exciting and exceptional company, the editorial team of Dotcom Magazine welcomes you to pitch your business story to appear on this exciting interview series by reaching out to Mr. Jacob at Dotcom Magazine at dotcommagazine.com. And without further ado, here is another amazing entrepreneurial story on the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. Hello, everybody. Andy Jacob here with the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. And I have a show today that I've been waiting for for a number of weeks. You know, we bring so many talented CEOs and founders on the show. And one thing that's very interesting to so many of our viewers is what we call the SaaS model. We had so many people reach out to us and they say, hey, Jake or Andy, of course, you know, why don't you bring a real expert in the field on the show, sort of, you know, ask some penetrating questions because it's such an interesting space. And so many of our entrepreneurs want to learn so much more about it. So we've been able to invite, of course, Mr. Eric Bourget. And Eric is a leader in the space. He's the CEO and founder of a company whose name I just love called Half Serious. You know, if you're in the SaaS business or, of course, you're, you're in the technical business looking at launching a world-class SaaS platform or a solution, you probably know about Eric, but we're very delighted and honored to have him on the show today. Eric, welcome to the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. Wow. Thanks for the amazing introduction. Yeah, you're welcome. It's great to have you. I'm honored to have you on the show. You know, you have such a great platform. And of course, what you do at Half Serious is very important. And we want to get into it. Of course, Half Serious has had some changes throughout the years. We're going to get into that as well. But before we do, let's pull the lens back to 30,000 feet. As you know, what we've become famous for. Tell us about Half Serious and then we're going to get into it. All right. So what Half Serious is really known for is working with non-technical entrepreneurs or non-technical services, uh, service companies, and we help them launch software as a service business models. Yeah, I love it so much. So let's talk about it. You know, we'll get into the mission, which I love and everything else that you do. You have an amazing team. I mean, when you look at the roster of people on your team, I mean, it, lo- it reads sort of like a who's who of technical expertise. And of course, you know, people that understand, you know, SaaS solutions and how to create an exceptional uh, workplace and exceptional workforce and a workflow. Let's talk about it. What types of companies reach out to you, Eric? What does that first conversation sound like? Who's reaching out to half serious right now? Well, historically, it's really been technical companies that had an aging product. So think of a company that's been around for 10, 15 years, and they have not migrated to the cloud. They've a little bit behind in terms of design sensibilities and stuff like that. And they hired us. And that's why the name became important, half serious. It's like, hey, of course, we're going we're gonna to upgrade everything that we have, but we're also going to make it feel amazing so that people you know, love using it. So it's a total upgrade from the technology stack, but also to everything that has to do with UX, UI, you know, user experience in general. And over the last few years, 
we've had a new type of client come in, which is something that I'm paying more and more attention to. And, and this is a client that's non-technical that wants to launch a, a uh, software as a service business. But you know, today's talent market is extremely difficult. For your, you know, if you're starting with a new concept and you want to hire all those people, it's going to take you about a year, a year and a half to even start putting together this sort of all-star team that that's going to allow you to actually, you know, make that move. And so, you know, increasingly it's been exited entrepreneurs. So think someone who sold his company, has a little bit of money, has this new idea, knows exactly what it takes to put, you know, pull together an all-star team and is like, screw this. I'm going to skip the waiting line. I'm just going to go with these guys and they're going to help me design, build, and then operate the platform for them. Because that's the, um, that's the biggest area of innovation. It, it doesn't really sound that sexy at first, operating a software as a service. But really, when you think about it, once you've developed, you've, you know, you created the design, you've launched your, your, your software as a service, you want to be out there on the market. You want to be selling. You want to be, you know, increasing the amount of visibility over what you're doing and everything. The last thing you want to do is spend all this time putting together a team of like DevOps and security and IT and developers. And so what we do is we actually operate it for them. And that's a big change for us because it used to be that we would develop this thing and then we would hand it back. But now it's so tough to put together these teams that companies will say, you know what, once it's up and running, I want you guys to run it so that I could focus on the front end of my business, grow my, my revenues by growing the, you know, the attention that I'm getting. And you know, if, I, if, it, if I can never have a conversation with a technical team, <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be good for me because I want to talk to clients and I want to grow my marketing and all that stuff. Yeah, I love it, Eric. It's exceptional. And it's it's very interesting, of course, for a non-technical entrepreneur who wants to create a world-class SaaS solution. I mean, they need to find the right partner to really produce an effective design and development, of course, in the partner. So the partner does that for them. And that's really crucial, really, to the shared success when launching let's say, a non-technical entrepreneur's SaaS company. And one thing that really impressed us with what you're able to do, of course, is speed. I mean, you mentioned speed to market. You know, back in the old days, you know, it would take a year and a half, two, three years. But the speed to market that you provide, of course, at your company is much different. And that's one of the beautiful things that you do at Half Serious. So let's talk about that speed to market mentality that you and your team have. Yeah, I'm going to have to be honest here. That was a little bit of an accident. So originally what happened is that once you, if you want to spin out a new, no, brand new software as a service solution, one of the things that you're going to have to invest is really good infrastructure. So you're going to have to deploy something that scales really well, that's built really well, that's using the right technologies. And no one likes paying for plumbing. They just don't. And if you're a technical person, you may value these things and you're, you, you can be you know, excited about it and you can see it and you can log into your AWS console and see that things have been well put together. But if you're a non-technical entrepreneur, none of that means anything to you. And it's like, if you're building a new kitchen for yourself, you're excited about your counters and the lighting and the windows and stuff like that. You don't give a crap about the plumbing. Well, it's the same thing for these guys. They don't, they don't care about how it's built. They want it. To, obviously my plumbing in my kitchen is something I appreciate immensely. I don't think it would be that, that great of a kitchen if it didn't have it, but am I excited about it? I'm not. And right. So it used to be that it would take us about six to eight weeks to deploy this infrastructure. And it's a world-class infrastructure that meets, that's made for companies that want to scale. 
But we are now in a position where we could deploy it in two or three days because we've invested over, um, I think it's over $250,000 in just all the scripts and the tools and, and the boilerplate that we're able to sort of deploy in a way that's that's really fast. And, and at first, the concept for us was to be like, hey, we're not going to annoy our clients by getting them to pay for something that they're not really going to be able to see or appreciate. Uh, but what it ended up doing is that now after two weeks, the first sprint, if you will, you're going to start seeing features. And that's just not something that a lot of people uh, you know, can do the way that, you know, humbly, I think we, we do that really well. And that really accelerates time to market. So usually our, uh, our MVPs now, we try to keep them below 200,000 and we try to keep them below four months. So, you know, four months, you're out there, you're in the market, you're testing your ideas, you're figuring things out. And, you know, you didn't have to pay for all that annoying uh, plumbing. Yeah, it's so interesting. You're not going at the speed of light. I kind of think you're going at the speed of Hussein Bolt, of course, the world <laughs> record holder sprinter. I mean, it's incredible what you're able to do. Now, we have entrepreneurs that want to launch a new SaaS, okay? They want to grow the value of their business. And of course, they want to drive efficiencies in their process by right. having you automate their tasks for them. And of course, one thing you talk about that really is interesting is you call it escape the talent hunt. And that's really leaving the HR management to the right partner. Let's talk about right. that because that really is a very interesting sort of approach that you have at your company. Yeah. Uh, here's a little secret. Uh, two years ago, I think we spent over $300,000 in recruitment fees. And it's something that pissed me off. Like you wouldn't believe. And so I decided we're not going to do that again. We're going to you're going to decide if you're going to be in the talent space for technical talent, you're going to decide, right? You either go all out or you, you don't even dip your toe in it, right? So our ability to attract top talent came from building a really amazing culture. We have someone full-time here acting as a director of employee experience. We've, uh, we've purchased an old bank that we're renovating so that we have cool meeting rooms inside of vaults and 3D printers in the basement and stuff like that. And all that are all of these things are, are toys, if you will, but they're still important in creating that sort of, um, you know, that sort of environment that attracts and retains and motivates this talent. So if you are a non-technical entrepreneur or a small, you know, SMB, and you want to spin out a, a product, you really kind of have two choices. You're either going to go to, um, you know, offshore and try to get something on the cheap, which honestly is, is going to result in just a bunch of features hanging together, right? Because that, if you're a non-technical entrepreneur, how are you going to describe the thing that you want them to build? for a technical team. You're going to describe it to them as a bunch of features that you have in your head. They're going to give you a bunch of features that kind of hangs, hangs together with, with duct tape. It's not going to be that great. Or you want to go in, you're going to say, hey, I'm going to hire a CTO. That's going to take you about you know 12 months. You're going to have to give them equity. It's going to be a complex situation. If things go well, you know they're going to start hiring. You're going to build a small team of specialized developers. Um, Facebook, Google, all these guys are going to try to steal these people from you all the time. Zoom is like crazy, the amount of people that, that lost employees to Zoom. Uh, so you're going to, like, it's a commitment to just grab that sword, go out there and start fighting off in a very vicious way for you to keep your talent. So we've decided that we wanted to be in that fight, but it's not something that you should go in lightly. So that's, you know, 
an increasing amount of, of, uh, of, of clients now are coming to us because they've been down that route, right? And they've hired people and they got them stolen. And then the project is just not getting off the ground. And so when they, they work with us, you could say, look, we're going to, there's going to be a small spike in your spending because we're going to build the product. Then we're going to maintain it for you at a fairly low cost. And you're never going to have to worry about fighting for that talent again, because that's our problem. Yeah. Very interesting. And of course you mentioned it at the show, you know, we always talk about risk. I mean, entrepreneurs, you have to balance risk. And one thing that you're able to do for your clients is I call it, you're able to de-risk it. In other words, you know, when people reach out to you at your company, Eric, you know, they want to get to the bottom of the feasibility and the cost and the risks associated with what's on their mind, of course, with help from you and your team. And then they want to de-risk the project really by validating the concepts, you know, very early through, let's say a no-code prototype. And you mentioned, you know, MVP models. How important is sort of the strategy run and the design run for your client success? That's a very good question. So a, a lot of times people overestimate how clearly they, their vision is, right? There's a lot of details missing. And we could either talk at each other and try to figure this out, or we could both turn our heads and look at a prototype and have a meaningful conversation. So usually when we start these projects, we have a small analysis phase just to make sure that we all understand where we're, where we're going. And then we get into a design phase. So the design phase is basically meant for us to align mentally and, and, and get to a sort of some sort of mind share around what is it that we're supposed to be building? Because the by, by far the biggest risk that you're undertaking when you're going in a project like this is building the wrong thing. Because if you've built the wrong thing, you've spent that money, very hard to come back. You're going to feel like you're doing a sidestep instead of moving forward. So it's very painful emotionally. It's very painful financially. So one of my favorite people to talk to in a company is usually the CFO. And we're going to have a long conversation about stabilizing the technical risk. We will go in um, when the mandate is clear enough and, and guarantee that the MVP is not going to cost more than your, than your budget. And one of the reasons is that we're very good at managing the scope from an, from an early stage and just making sure that we we all have a crystal clear idea of what we're going to build before there's a single line of code that goes in. Yeah, it's powerful. I call it the strategy run, the design run. This is what you call it. And I call it that too, because it makes sense. Of course, you've got the dev run and then you've got the stack run, which is really interesting. So for the people that go through the process after the SaaS model and solution is put together, then they're on a platform where they pay you a monthly fixed sort of fee. Is that the way that it works? Yep, that's it. And uh, and so the way that it works is like uh, like we we brushed on this a little bit before, but in order to be able to run a software as a service, there's no reason to build a software as a service product unless you're trying to scale something. Like scale is at the crux of your motivation when you're building, you know, you're going down a software as a service type of route. And of course, once you scale this thing, you're going to want to have a very solid team that makes sure that it's stable, that it's secure, that it gets optimized, that, you know, the, uh, the updates for the various services that you're using are being optimized all the time. That's going to get you into a lot of money. What we do is that we have this team that we, um, that works on a platform that we developed ourselves. It's called Stack Run. And basically what it is, is a shared DevOps team that just makes sure that everything runs smoothly. And because it's shared across many projects, 
many uh, sorry solutions, then it, we get to, to charge about 10 times less than it would for you to staff that thing internally. And we found like, like that never used to be a problem or, a, or an opportunity or in a situation when we used to work for technical companies, because obviously they would want it back. But for a non-technical company, they don't want it back. They don't want to, you know, that's going to slow them down and increase their risk. They'd much rather just have a low spend on doing that. And then what's interesting is that you get to a point where you're like, you know, people are coming back and they're saying, you know, I think I can start envisioning what version two of this product would look like. And then we go back in project mode, we augment the platform, and then we fall back in stack run and we just run it very efficiently. So the ability to sort of play with that burn gives you a lot of financial agility or budget agility. So that's why the, usually the CFOs love us for that because it's like, hey, if we don't need new, new features on this thing, we're just going to slow burn it while we invest our, our, our budget in, in marketing and developing the market. And then once we want to augment the product, we'll go back and then we'll ramp it up and then we'll go back down again. Yeah, Eric, it's interesting. It's such a interesting and, and powerful strategy that you have at the company. So let's talk about it a little bit. You know, you mentioned the DevOps team. You've, you've got a world-class team. One thing that really drives what you do at Half Serious is what I would call the culture first mindset. In other words, you know, you want to have a great culture. Culture always starts at the top. What are some of the things about your culture that really translate into a tangible benefit for your clients? Right. So that's, again, very good question. The, uh, I think one of the books that, that, um, that sort of created the biggest change in my mindset for culture was um, No Rules Rules, the Netflix book. And other was, you know, they had this concept of, uh, what was it? Uh, sorry, freedom and responsibility that I really loved because I used to be an employee a long time ago and I used to work at a company where they would monitor what time you got in. You needed to fill like, 35 different applications in order to get an expense report in and stuff like that. And it just created this atmosphere that they don't really trust me. And so I didn't really feel like I wanted to show up with, with my best self. And it's something that was very important for us was to build a, a culture. Uh, you know, I've, I've been an employee before, like I said, and I've been in very difficult cultures. And when I started Half Serious, obviously the concept or the word Half Serious is primarily because I want to say, look, it's about technology, but it's, all, it's mainly because of how technology can make you feel when you're successful. But also it's about the culture. Like there's a kind of a double meaning here. And the culture should be that we're here to get stuff done. We're here to produce results. But at the same time, we're just a bunch of human beings just trying to, just trying to you know, build cool stuff have fun doing it and be successful, right? So, you know, freedom and responsibility is sort of at the core, but we have we have other values that we've developed over time. We have a, a you know, reward program that, you know, for, for the people that, that uh, sort of represent those values uh, better than anybody else. And so the, the culture first aspect was something that has always been sort of core. And then that got us to, and even now at about 70 employees with, with people working from home, we're constantly in conversations on how do we make these values? How do we protect these values and make sure that they're alive? Despite the fact that, you know, we're, we're fully hybrid. We got a really nice studio, but if you want to work from home all the time, you definitely have that, uh, that capability. And we don't want we don't want those people to be like culturally second-class citizens. We want them to feel included. So there's, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, that's interesting, Eric. Now, let's talk about some of the reasons why your clients and people and CEOs and founders 
want to upgrade to a to a SaaS solution model? Yeah, I, I mean, there's really two uh, two reasons that I see um, a lot more than anything else. The first one is that once you scale a company to 10 employees to 50 employees, there comes a time where, you know, if you want to grow past that, there's a complexity in your in, in, in internal processes, you're going to need to add a lot more bodies. And that just makes it hard to get an on, on sort of a hockey stick uh, type of revenue model, because, you know, you're, you're piling on a lot of costs as you're growing. And, you know, to be honest, in this economy, there's a good chance that you can't find those people. You're going to have a really hard time finding those people. So people, you know, adding more people to a complex operation just makes it very hard for you to scale. And you're going to have a bunch of tools internally. You're going to be using Monday here and an access database here. And every, and then the mandate for us is going to be, can you grab all that stuff and all internal workflows and create an internal product that takes our, our sort of operation or, or performance to the next level? And if we do a really good job, we will completely change the dynamics of how you run your, your, your company. If we do an exceptional job, we may solve an industry problem that you're going to be able to sell to your competitors. And we've done that many, many times. You solve a, com- a problem internally, and then that client is like, well, everyone in my industry has this problem. So I'm going to spin this off as a new company, and I'm going to start selling this as a pure play software as a service. So we've done that a number of times. And that's, that's something that's always exciting. The other reason is, quite frankly, valuation. If you're a service company, you're probably evaluated at a multiple of your profits. If you're a pure play software as a service, you're evaluated as a multiple of your top line. So, I mean, there's there's an obvious reason for you to to be considering that if that's anywhere within the possible, uh, the realm of the possible. Yeah, I love it so much, Eric. And of course, when we think about SaaS-based technology, you know, one thing that a lot of people think about, especially people, you know, in the cybersecurity space is the protection of the data and the protection of the actual platform. Let's talk about that a little bit. How important is that to you and your team to make sure that you provide the best security possible? Yeah, it's extremely important, especially this morning. I was uh, with a client that does uh, VR uh, therapy, which is more and more clients in the VR space now. And basically they need to be HIPAA compliant. They need to, you know, we need to make sure that 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 data is really well protected. And a lot of times HIPAA, if you start paying attention to that, it's obviously the the, the structure, the technology, the, the routines, the accesses, but it's also your internal processes. So it goes beyond the actual, uh, you know, product itself, but very important for sure. Especially, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with people's money, people's identity, any sort of attributable, uh, data that's you know it, very important. Yeah, it's so interesting. And for the people watching the show, go to Half Serious's website. They have some amazing case studies about some of the clients that they've they've worked with and some of the spinoffs that those clients have used the platform to offer that platform to their competitors. So it's a great thought and it's a great way to go. Eric, let's talk a little bit about entrepreneurship. I know you've only cut out a certain amount of time today. I really appreciate it very very much. Of course. We have younger entrepreneurs watching the show and they're watching and they're hearing this story and they might be facing a challenge or a tough time or maybe a roadblock or a wall they can't get through in their particular business. What type of advice can you give to the younger entrepreneurs or the newer entrepreneurs watching the show about what it takes to get through a tough time as an entrepreneur? Right. I, I have a hard time with advice just because I always kind of figure that I don't know all the variables that you're facing with, but I'll share something that I've gone through. Once Half Serious reached about uh, 20 employees, I hit a wall personally. I was just, you know, there was a day where I was 
you know, in my couch, ball of my throat. I just couldn't do it anymore. I hated my job. I created this, this work environment that I just hated because once I reached 20 employees, my day-to-day was basically handling invoices, time tracking, management projects. And, and I like the creative and vision aspects and relationship aspect of my job. And I discovered EOS. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's, uh, you know, from the book um, Traction from uh, Gino Wickman, changed my life. And I was like, okay, I understand I'm the visionary and I'm not meant to be the integrator of my company. And so I embarked on this, on this adventure of trying to find who my, the right integrator was going to be in the road from 20 employees to 70 employees. I will say it was, was smoother than zero to, to 20. So at some point, I think if, if there is any sort of advice-ish type of thing that I could say is like, understand who you are. Understand who you are, understand what gives you energy and drive and what takes it away and make sure that you surround yourself that are energized by the things that are stealing energy away from you. That's powerful. And of course, that EOS, so many people have been helped from that book and from that mm-hmm. system. And it's, it's remarkable. Now, before I let you go, one thing that you do great at Half Serious and throughout your entire career, you know, is you're a big believer in giving back. I mean, you and your team, you believe that, you know, being an entrepreneur, having a great company, of course, that's very, very important. But you also give back to the community that you serve. How important has that been in your evolution personally, Eric, to give back and make sure that you're sort of giving back to the people that, that need it most? Well, I mean, it all comes from different places. I, I think for me, uh, especially when the pandemic hit, it was like, how un- unbelievably lucky am I? My business was not affected at all. If in, you know, if at all, it probably grew. My employees could just work from home. It didn't really matter. So no, you know, we weren't even affected. And if we were, it was probably in a way that's kind of positive. And at some point that karma builds up, man, it, it's got to go somewhere. And so we're constantly trying out uh, a couple of different things. We're, we're helping a food bank here, you know, ma- ma- making mo- money donation, but also time will free up like a complete day of anyone that just wants to take a break from their, from, from their projects to go. And, and pack boxes for, for stuff like that. Like food insecurity doesn't make any freaking sense. We throw so much money out, you know, in, in the bin every single, uh, you know, uh, week, every single day, and yet people are starving. So it doesn't make sense. And so you need to sort of get in there. But I would also say that when, when selecting clients, uh, we have a uh, grading card here internally, and we will give a little bit more points to uh, people that have impact projects. You know, we'll we'll um, we'll prioritize those people. We were lucky enough just to be able to pick our clients, and so you know, we'll we'll definitely try to try to do that as much as we possibly can. And I could I could tell that it makes a difference, at the very least, in my employees. Like people are just engaged in a way that's just completely different when they understand that there's an impact here, and we're somehow making someone's life a little bit better. Yeah, that's super cool. If your employee wants to go, you know, participate or go down to the food bank and spend a day down there helping out. I mean, that's great that you let them do it and you understand and you you promote that because that's beautiful. Listen, what you're doing at Half Serious, first of all, I love the name, you know, helping non-technical entrepreneurs launch SaaS companies is remarkable. You've got a great team. You've grown by leaps and bounds. And I'm so happy I've had you on the show to cut into this a bit. I want to bring you back because I think it's going to be fascinating again when we have another 30 minutes to talk more about your entrepreneurial journey and the mindset of Eric Bourget and how you built this amazing company. So Eric, I want to thank you so much for coming on the dot-com magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series today. Thank you so much, Andy. It's been a lot of fun. 